Welcome to our recorded broadcast entitled Coming Home Safely. It's one of our Survive and Thrive Guide series that serves our coronavirus care community of practice. We love having Jennifer Dingman be the voice of the patient. She's been a longstanding champion of patient safety. Uh, she won the, She was one of the winners of the Pete Conrad Global Patient Safety Award and worked with us over the last 11 years, actually, uh, focused on uh, reducing medical error and especially uh, the hospital-acquired conditions. And the work that she contributed to has saved more than 175,000 lives and uh, in the tens of billions of dollars. So, Jennifer, thank you for your steadfast support. And please voice that, be our voice for the patients and families that are being served today. Jennifer? Thank you, Dr. Denham. There we go. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm very excited about today's webinar. This is so important for patients and families to learn how to deal with our, this crisis that we're going through right now with this um, coronavirus that has just swept through the world. It is great that we're going to have such good experts, such wonderful, knowledgeable people from medicine helping us learn what to do and how to deal with this. I'm, uh, the last webinar was fantastic. Uh, we got a lot of great feedback from other patients and families. And um, I just want to thank everyone who's here listening in. Please share this widely once the recording is available and invite other families and also providers to work with us in the future to come to these webinars. Um, I'll hand it back to you, Dr. Denham, and thank you again for doing this. Thank you, Jenny, and thank you for all of your great work. Um, we're going to talk about a lot of good news today on the webinar of things you can do. I guess we have to start off with the brutal facts. And Ann Rhodes, who's one of our speakers, is a colleague with uh, Jim Collins and I working in, in, in leadership, the fellow that wrote uh, A Good to Great. And one of the things he talks about is the Stockdale paradox, which is face the brutal facts and then declare you will prevail. And uh, General Stockdale was in uh, Vietnam in a prisoner of war camp. The brutal facts are that uh, this is, uh, the coronavirus crisis is probably the greatest public health disaster ever happening in the, in the world. And we've, we're really at the bottom of the list. You can see Canada, which is one-tenth of our population, and you can see their numbers on this, uh, on this slide. So we have a lot that we can do. If you look at the hot spots around the world and you look at the intensity of the colors on the Johns Hopkins uh, recent uh, uh, program, and you can go to their dashboard every day and see the growth in numbers, we've, we are at the, we're at the bottom of the list of performance. Uh, we have the greatest growth in deaths. Uh, we have, uh, we really have a long way to go. That said, which are, is the bad news, that we have a hundred thousand over a uh, thousand deaths a day. Uh, hope, hopefully, we'll see some of the numbers drop. But if you look at South Korea, that had their first case when we had our first case, they've they've only got just a little over 300 deaths, and and we have uh, north of 150,000, close to 160,000 deaths and growing. So we have a long way to go. Now, that's the bad news. The good news is that you can't rely on the public health department. Uh, 
the Public Health Department of the United States of America, your local public health department, your state public health department have to make trade-offs for the population. There's a certain cost to doing business to take care of everybody. The great thing about what we have to share with you today is if you take charge and you focus on your own family and you put together your own health security or health safety plan, which we recommend companies do as well as families, there's an enormous amount of impact that you can have to keep your family safe, reduce cost, reduce harm, and, ha and, and really get back to uh, somewhat of a, a new normal. We're going to cover a number of, uh, uh, of qu question, uh, number of questions. I can see with my dyslexia, I missed a T there on safety. Uh, safety. Uh, but these are the questions we're going to cover. How do we keep from bringing the virus home? What are the best practices to protect my family? What if I'm exposed to a COVID-19 patient at work? Things are changing all the time. We need to keep up on it. How do I put together a family safety plan or a family safety program? Can we have safe play dates? Why are indoor activities so much more risky than those outdoors? What, prevented, what personal protective equipment, PPE, do I need to have to take care of a loved one at home? You'll be surprised when you learn about some of the things that you can do. How do we get teens and those in their 20s and 30s to take the lead in being safe and protecting their families? They're the biggest, they're, they're, they're the super spreaders in our, in our community right now. What if a contact tracer, an individual who finds out that you've been exposed, calls and find and you find one of your family members have been exposed and what should be on my family what if list if we're going to take charge we need to know what the what if list is so the, one of the most exciting things to me about the work we're doing right now is you're a combined audience you're an audience of doctors nurses caregivers administrators nurse preventionists a number of healthcare workers emts lifeguards but you're also families and the general public. And as I'll share with you in a minute, our big discovery was you all want to be trained together. Now, the dilemma is we're going to toggle between some pretty detailed uh, slides and some high-level graphics. And the reason is we've got to both thread the needle of providing the evidence-based medicine to our clinical colleagues and our professional colleagues, and we need to provide uh, the, the, the family-centric view. And I always think of my son, Charlie, who's 14. Can I explain it to him or even the kids that, that, that Mr. Bashka and I, David Bashka and I, teach when I teach our MedTech program, if we can explain it in language they understand, that everybody can understand. And this can be done. We've done it with two, uh, two uh, of our broadcast uh, uh, documentaries that we've done with Discovery Channel. We're going to address the hot zone. The, the area where we're most exposed, it might be in the public for your family, it might be where you work, it might be where you play. The warm zone or what Dr. Boats and I visited this morning about the transition zone, the where do you disinfect, where do you get rid of the virus if you've, you're bringing it home, and especially if you're in a high-risk field like law enforcement where our two world-class security leaders are going to share the dilemmas and challenges that their, that their workforce at major medical centers have in, in law enforcement, where they are constantly in a high-risk environment, or our caregivers are, and then the safe zone. How do we maintain that safe zone and keep the virus out of that? And you'll notice there are two icons in the warm zone. One is the car. You may not be able to disinfect at work. Dr. Uh, Peabody and Dr. Boats are going to share how they disinfect when they come home. They have different ways to do it because of what's going on at the hospital. Sometimes we have to do it at home. Well, that means your car is, is, is contaminated, and so we have to keep that in mind, especially when we're bringing kids home from school and those, and those things. So this is a high-level graphic. We're going to get into more detail. Now, 
every one of these webinars, we're going to generate a written guide that you can go back and read that will come from the transcript and uh, more major work that we'll do, and we call them Survive and Thrive Guides. This one is don't bring it home. And when we uh, next week, by the end of next week, we'll have that for you. And by the end of uh, the weekend, we'll have one on masks because uh, there's some breaking news yesterday. We were going to deliver it today, but we're adding some things that Dr. Fauci said yesterday. So we're going to have a series of what we call survive and thrive guides that will be coupled to video. If you want to watch the video and then then print out the Survive and Thrive Guide. Great, if you just want to print it out, fine. Uh, some people learn by videos, some by images, some by graphics. We want to cover everybody. So just a real quick background on who we are. We put together what's called the MedTech Bystander Rescue Care Program five years ago. And actually, Dr. Greg Boats will speak next with uh, Heather Foster. Uh, it, he suggested at the end of a telephone call that I, I had with him when I was putting an innovation program together for Texas Medical Center in Houston, he said, I'd like to share a passion project with you, and it was a regarding active shooter events. Well, I did a lot of research in that. We as a team did a lot of work, and it evolved into a bystander rescue care program focused on the eight leading causes of preventable death. Big surprise, as of this spring, uh, the coronavirus crisis jumped right almost to the lead, and today it is in the lead of preventable causes of death. So we focus on cardiac arrest, choking and drowning, opioid overdose, anaphylaxis, which is, um, which is the reaction that our bodies might have to uh, agents that can cause us to need to have a, an EpiPen, major trauma, including uh, active shooter events, uh, infection care, this is where coronavirus lands, transportation accidents. There are 100 drive-over accidents in, the, in schools and in driveways every week. Four children die. Over 60% of them are uh, the drivers or their parents. We found it to be a great area to focus. And then bullying, including bullicide, where uh, this leads to the death of, uh, of children. We have a number of initiatives, same core values. We focus on, we're undertaking an emerging threats community of practice with major medical centers in collaboration with the World Health Organization. Uh, we, we have an outreach program for educational material that is called Global Patient Safety Forum. Safety Leaders is the program I had referred to earlier where we do a webinar at the third Thursday of every month. And many of our speakers here today speak to doctors and nurses on pretty complex areas of medical harm and medical error. And Care University is just our platform to deliver licensure credits and things that, uh, that you need and certificates. But we focus on what we call the four Ps. If we're going to keep something from happening or what we call left of boom when something bad happens, we focus on prevention, preparedness, protection at the time when an event occurs, and performance improvement. What can we learn? And that's what this this, this community is about. So there are articles which you can download from our website regarding the work that we've done in our Adopt-a-Cove program, for instance, here in Southern California, where we're putting rescue stations at a, n a number of coves. And uh, you can read about uh, the, the program here. Uh, Mr. Bash, who will speak today, and my son Charlie and I are in the picture in this one article, uh, the first article that was written. And it actually showcased the fact that Mr. Bash saved the first life in the first seven weeks of the program teaching lower school children. He learned something on a Thursday, saved a life on a Saturday. Um, 
So what happened when the coronavirus crisis hit, we looked around and said, who's, who's training the families? Who's teaching the families of these 16 industry sectors, these sectors that keep the lights on, the water flowing, the information flowing, the food supply, and our firemen, our EMTs like Paul Pattaya, who's on today, uh, and our, our, uh, our police officers. Uh, what about a, a number of the invisible services that just keep everything going during lockdown? So we convened uh, a group of world-class people, a rapid response team. I'm, I'm just the speaker or, or producer of, of, the, of the work, but we have now over 50 contributors coming from all realms uh, who have contributed to uh, a program that started out as a 30-minute program. It's grown to a three-hour certification course, and today you're getting a sampler menu, if you will, for families that's specifically focused on families, and you'll see a number of the folks that are speaking today, in addition to nationally known CEOs, a former Assistant Secretary of Health, an astronaut, you see Sully Sullenberger, uh, and uh, 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 former um, uh, leaders uh, uh, at, at Harvard, Stanford, and a number of organizations. Here's what we discovered. So we undertook this program and put the, put the program together uh, to serve these essential uh, critical workforce uh, for families, and we found out family training really works. We can't just train the employee. The employee is exposed to the virus when they come home. We found out that if we can train the family of the worker, we can dramatically reduce infection. We can save the company, save money, liability, and save capacity. So what you're a part of right now is the family-centric focus, um, and we've combined medical, clinical, operational leaders in healthcare, uh, law enforcement, and the general public, as well as all faith volunteers. I, I learned a lot from my church, Saddleback Church, and those that are uh, volunteers that we really need to do this. We're also doing a lot of research now, and it's really fun. Every day we're adding new organizations. We already have the Mayo Clinic and Matt Horace leading that, along with Casey Clements and Dr. Boats and Chief Adcox at Anderson, uh, Toff Peabody, and Mary Foley, who's a nurse, a PhD nurse, former uh, president of the American Nursing Association, and our wonderful UCI contributors that are on today. Uh, we're adding uh, organizations by the day. So I'm almost done with telling you who we are and what we have. Now, when you go to our website, what you see today, videos, there are videos that we have produced that are basic modules that are four to ten minutes, and you can log on on your phone and watch them when you're waiting for something, and we hit the pillars of prevention, and then advanced modules that are longer and more technical, and then at the bottom of that web page, we have curated the latest articles from Wall Street Journal, from USA Today, but we've combined them with the medical articles, so if you want to know everything about masks, you can go to one place, you can get the medical articles, but the overview. We also developed a course, uh, the, a course with using uh, film from major motion pictures. We have the, the studios uh, uh, giving us the approval to allow us to use clips of Tom Hanks and Sully Sullenberger and Matt Damon and Dennis Quaid and a whole host of others in order to kind of breathe life into the training. Okay, so now let's talk about what we're going to address today. We're going to talk about the hot zone, the warm zone, and the safe zone. The red zone is the hot zone where you're exposed to the virus, the warm zone is where you disinfect, the safe zone is the green zone, and everybody's transition area will be different. The hot zone, you've got to maintain your best protection, and the pillars are critical. Social and physical distance is 
the most important thing you can possibly do, staying out of indoor, indoors whenever you can because of the ventilation issue. Masks are critical, hand hygiene, and there's been some misinformation about contact surfaces. Yes, you need to keep them clean. Not as important as the others, but very important. So keep that in mind. Uh, and then the transition zone or the disinfection area is where you have, where you take off your mask, where you take off things that are exposed, where you take off the clothing, you separate your laundry, you clean surfaces, so that when you enter into the home, you're not carrying the virus in. And you have to have disinfection stations at the doors at the warm zones. Clean the contact surfaces. Maintain ventilation where you can. Dr. Fauci was on with Harvard School of Public Health yesterday and saying how important it is to keep the windows open, keep the air flowing because of the potential aerosol spread. And then if somebody gets exposed and need to be quarantined or somebody is infected and they need to be isolated, you've got to create that island inside your safe zone and keep the rest of the family safe. So I'm going to run through these very quickly, and then I'm going to ask Dr. Boats and, uh, and our nurse infection preventionist, Heather Foster, to respond. But I'm going to hit the highlights. Social distance, six feet is a minimum. You'll find in our videos that th this is from very old research before we had lasers and we could study how far people breathe and, and how far droplets could spread, and, it, and it's, a, it's a minimum. Uh, when you, once you see the data, you go, oh, my gosh, this looks like it should be longer uh, or further. Uh, hand washing, we, uh, caregivers, we lose 17,000 people every single year because our nurses and doctors don't wash their hands. So even we in healthcare are not good at it. We have to just keep hammering it, and soap and water is the best the best thing. Avoid poorly ventilated spaces. We'll cover that later. Uh, don't touch your face masks or face. Once you've got the mask on, uh, we touch our faces 23 times an hour. Very critical that when, you, that when you've got a mask on and you take it off that you don't touch the surface where the virus could be caught. Be gracious but firm when others invade your space. I find myself backing away frequently, but I just say, hey, I've got to maintain social distance. It's critical to know how to put on and take off PPE. We call it Doff and Don in healthcare. We've got videotapes to address it. Whenever in doubt, wash your hands. Know the process for reporting outbreaks if you've been exposed. And exposure, we define exposure, CDC defines it, and, and, and some say shorter than this period, but if you're within six feet of someone that is known to be infected for more than 15 minutes, that's exposure. If you walk by somebody who was infected, that's not exposure if you just walked by someone. But you, if you're within 15, if you're there for longer than 15 minutes, minutes within six feet, that's key. Now let's talk about the warm zone. Uh, critical. This is a disinfection area. So when you leave the hot zone, disinfect before getting in the car. Contain your contaminated materials. Put them in the trunk. Wipe down door handles and contact surfaces. If the car is the warm zone, it must be considered contaminated. If you can't decontaminate and for our law enforcement families, if you can't decontaminate at work, you got to consider the car is contaminated. Try to contain it as much as possible. Be ready to store your contaminated gear when you must. When you're coming uh, when you're joining uh, or when you're coming home, you designate what is the warm zone and where you're going to disinfect. Assemble and maintain disinfection stations with cleaning supplies. Top Peabody, Dr. Peabody is going to share his with you. Keep the family out of the warm zone, especially the kids. Increase precautions if someone is in quarantine, meaning you're waiting to find out if they might have the virus or isolation. You know they have the virus. You really have to uh, maintain that. When you join back the, the hot zone and go back to work, 
Make sure that your mask has a good fit. Fit is absolutely critical. Practice no, uh, uh, practice no mask or face touching, meaning uh, you, you should never touch the outside of the mask. Only you touch the, what goes around your head or around your ears. Face touching is critical. This is why we're wearing shields in the hospitals because your eyes are moist surfaces that can absorb the virus. If contaminated, wash your hands. Know the rules of the workplace or the public venue. Whatever the rules are about reporting or, or doing what they, what, what they require, make sure you know what those are. Um, you have to designate when you're coming home, designate the worm zone for disinfection. Assemble and maintain a disinfection station at every place where you're moving from where things can be contaminated and not. Uh, uh, and uh, I covered that a little bit earlier. In the warm zone leaving home, when you leave home, newer cleaned ma masks, gloves, and face shields and coverings. You may keep that in mind. You may need to take more with you. Bring disinfectants in your car or your gear and bring out extra masks if you have them. It's always when you don't have that extra mask that you really need one or you can share one with someone. Finally, the, the safe zone practices. Establish and maintain those disinfection stations at the doors. Regularly clean eye contact surfaces. Prevent people or parcels from bringing the virus home. We don't have to as much as we did, but this is this is still a risk area to keep in mind, uh, and we need to remember those contact surfaces. If possible, keep rooms really well ventilated. And one of the terms that we've used, Nancy Conrad, the wife of the former astronaut Pete Conrad, uh, came, uh, used the phrase, get your MacGyver on, the MacGyver TV show. You might have to use what you have, and we put this in our course. Now, whether it's the flu, coronavirus, or the next pandemic, they're the same processes. Isolation is for those who are infected or sick. The infected need to wear masks. They need to wear masks in the house because they can expose you. If they wear a mask, they can dramatically cut down your potential risk. Social distance and hand hygiene are important when you're taking care of somebody at home. Surfaces definitely are a risk. And quarantine are those for those is what we do for those who may be infected. We have to kind of assume that they're infected, uh, uh, and, and so it's critical that we, that, we, that we manage that. So it's just a great pleasure to have Dr., uh, Dr. Greg Boats join us. He'll have to leave a little early today. He's got major duties, you can imagine, in the ICU at Ebony Anderson, sickest patients uh, uh, on the planet, and uh, those that are, that are recovering from, from cancer. It's, it was such an honor to train there uh, when I trained at Texas Medical Center. Do Dr. Boats is not only on faculty as a full professor there at MD Anderson, but he's also uh, an associate professor uh, at Stanford University Medical School. Uh, he's my hero. He finishes a shift at MD Anderson, gets on a plane and goes to Stanford to teach uh, students and, 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 and man the life flight and do all kinds of great things to train our, our, our next generation of caregivers. And we have Heather Foster, who's an infection prevention nurse. Our next webinar is going to be how to take care of somebody at home. She did a terrific job at helping us tell families what you might have to do if you have to take care of somebody in your home. How do you reconfigure the room? How do you get it ready? Dr. Boats and, and, uh, and Heather helped us there, and she's also the, uh, a winner of the Pete Conrad Patient Safety uh, uh, National Award for her great work. Uh, and so, uh, Greg, do you want to go ahead and kick off your process and the things you'd like to share, and then we'll go to Heather, and I can back this up a little bit if you wish. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Denham, for that kind introduction, and I'm, I'm happy to be here today to talk about this important topic. Uh, I think the first thing that I want to talk about is something that we've covered in other webinars, and that is that uh, along with this coronavirus pandemic comes a lot of fear. 
It's the fear of the unknown, the fear of the, uh, the possibilities of illness and death that come along with this very, very serious virus that's sweeping across the globe. Uh, but the first thing that I want to impart on you is that by using these tried and true public safety measures of social distancing, uh, wearing a face mask, washing your hands, cleaning your contact surfaces, and being mindful of potential contamination, these things work. If we use them, we significantly reduce the likelihood of transmission uh, in our healthcare workers, in our public-facing workers, our critical essential workers, and their families. I think it's really important that we add in the next dimension that we're talking about today, which is you know, a disaster management principle of defining the areas in which we work according to the risk. And that's the idea behind the hot, warm, and safe zones. And I think that's critically important as we have people who, by nature of their work, are at much higher risk for contamination and infection with this coronavirus. And so there are some good practices to use in combination between the public safety measures and the disaster measures that makes our ability to manage this respiratory virus much more effective. And remember, the coronavirus, the COVID virus is a respiratory virus. It, it, it's not uh, a bloodborne pathogen. It's not something that can be absorbed through your skin or any other Way. It has to get into your respiratory system, and that's through moist membranes. And so by protecting your oral cavity, your nasal cavity, and your eyes, which are the portals of entry, um, I think that that is the key to preventing infection and contamination and spreading it in your family. So I'll give you an example of my, uh, my process when I, when I leave the hospital where we have a number of COVID patients uh, under our care. And what we do uh, to keep our institution safe, and then how I transition through the warm zone to the safe zone at home. Um, we are very careful at our institution about managing exposure by wearing masks everywhere inside the institution. Uh, when we are in patient contact, we wear uh, eye protection. And now recently we've moved to wearing face shields when we are in contact with patients to reduce the likelihood of eye transmission. Um, there are more hand washing stations and more attention to hand washing than I've ever seen before. And as Dr. Denham described before, hand washing is the curse of healthcare givers, just like it is for everybody else. You would think we know better, but our behaviors don't always follow through. And we, we constantly measure kind of a secret shopper opportunity to look and see who's washing their hands in the ICU and elsewhere in the institution. And, and we strive for good numbers, I would say that we don't always achieve that, but at least we have the opportunity to identify it and change behaviors. And when I leave the hospital, um, I take off my mask. Um, I have other clean masks in my car. I wash my hands with a hand sanitizer before I get into my car. But I consider my car to be a, a warm zone. It's potentially contaminated. So I drive home, and when I, uh, when I get home, the chief family officer in my organization, my wife, has a plan in place for me to safely enter into our home. And that involves me taking off all of my clothes in the garage, putting it into a, a clothes uh, hamper, um, a clothes basket, and walking through the house without touching anything directly into the shower and taking a long shower cleaning, uh, and then emerging from there, putting on clean clothes, and now I'm uh, more uh, amenable to being in a safe environment. Um, that practice is done every day when I come home uh, without fail. 
Um, I'm lucky that sometimes my wife lets me close the garage door before I have to strip down, but that's for the protection <laughs> of our neighbors, I'm sure. Um, but, but it's a good practice to have because we know that the risk of going from a contaminated zone to a safe zone needs uh, an intermediary disinfection mm -hmm. area that, that with deliberate action reduces the risk of transmission, and that includes taking off potentially soiled PPE, including your clothing, um, washing your hands again, even if you did it just before leaving your institution, whether it's as a first responder in, in your workplace in, when you've had contact with the public who may be at, at risk for infection, because as, as we know, there are a significant number of asymptomatic uh, carriers who can be spreaders. And so uh, doing those things can help reduce uh, the fear that we're bringing home contamination, but also can sort of assure that the area that we live in, our safe zone remains safe for everybody that's in our in our home. And we also have a plan for if, if one of us becomes sick or at risk needs to be quarantined, how we would cordon off an area and you know sort of set up our own hot, warm and safe zones within our own within our own home so that we protect each other uh, to the best of our ability. Great, thank you. Thanks so much, Greg. That's uh, terrific, and it'll be uh, interesting for everyone to listen to doc Dr. Peabody and his process, which is slightly modified, and probably yours, Heather. So, uh, Heather, your comments regarding, and I can move the slides around for you as you wish, but uh, Heather, thank you so much again for your great pre uh, infection prevention work on our full curriculum. What are your thoughts? Well, thank you, Chuck. I think um, if you want to just back up to the hot warm zone slide where it shows the phases. When I'm looking at that, I just think of how healthcare workers are doing that um, and have been for decades when taking care of patients in, in the isolation setting. Um, however, it, it's, it takes it to a new level when we are entering our home. And I just want people to know out there that as, as healthcare workers, we have the same concern. Um, in the very beginning of this pandemic and, and possibly even more so as our, our death rates continue to increase. But by breaking it down like this, it, it just makes it less intimidating and, and doable for, for everyone across the board. Uh, for instance, I have uh, kids uh, from 8 to 15, and, and they want to know. They want to be a part of the solution. So having it done like in a, a chart form like this makes it something we can print out, laminate, put on our walls as a reminder of what the process is, even within our home setting. Great, and one of our contributors who is not on today, uh, Beth Olamu, is an advisor to boards and takes care of uh, uh, a child that has some pretty sophisticated, uh, complex problems, helped us quite a bit with checklists. So we really hope that you watch our next webinar because we'll be covering uh, those uh, uh, in our next webinar and caring for folks at home. So let's move on and just talk about, the, the second question was, what are the best practices to protect my family? And you heard from Dr. Boats and you heard from Heather the critical issues that we keep coming back to if you watch the news. Social distancing, number one, that great distance and also staying out of uh, indoor environments where the virus can move around. Uh, hand washing and masks, disinfecting surfaces, and probably 
distance and masks are number one, uh, the hand washing and hand hygiene and then disinfecting surfaces. So, in, so this is a screenshot of our website. You can go and, and watch a video that's 13 minutes on social distancing. I'm just going to give you the tasting menu, if you will, and tell you we go through why we've had this incredible explosive spread and how the math works. And when you see how the math works and you see how rapidly just one person who doesn't practice social distancing or mask wearing, one person can infect 406 people in 30 days. And we've got some case studies for those of you that are clinical nurses, docs, pharmacists that want to use some of the latest studies. Uh, our second film is on masks. Now, this was before this enormous amount of political upheaval and partisanship over masks occurred, we, we put together a basic video, nine minutes and 34 seconds is the basic on masks. But when the challenges really started to hit us, uh, this is the one long video in our basic modules. It's 27 minutes. Uh, on Monday, you will see posted on the website our survive and thrive guide masks the science of success uh, those of you that know my family that's my 14 year old Charlie uh, during the lockdown my actors for a lot of our videos were my my son Charlie my wife Betsy that were great contributors this video actually covers all the fundamentals and the arguments regarding the mask which I'll get into uh, a little bit later hand washing disinfectants four-minute video and why soap is so important and how it works great for kids. The risk of high contact surfaces, it took us almost a week to sort out the misinformation on the web that was produced that said that the CDC said that uh, high contact surfaces were no longer a risk. That was completely a bogus, uh, bogus information, total misinformation, not as important as the other topics for sure, but still critical to maintain cleanliness on high contact surfaces. We touch our faces 23 times an hour. We can pick up viruses that are on surfaces, touch our nose, touch our eye, touch our mouth. Um, and then we also addressed this issue of ICU care. Many people do, didn't know what respirators are. This is about an eight minute video and it also talks about the ECMO machine, the artificial uh, lung that actually helps people like Dr. Boats take care uh, of our patients. Now, one of the things we try to do in the webinars is come up with the very latest information and uh, what we'll do at the beginning of most webinars is talk about what's in the news. Well, this week there was an incredible article about a CEO who has flown 33 times, spent 160 nights away uh, uh, this year, uh, is traveling for his company so they're not at risk, and it's a very entertaining article. All these articles that I cite are posted on our website. You can download them and read them in completion. But it, he talks about what he does in the hotel. He goes into the hotel, cleans every surface, doesn't let anybody come into the room for four days. Uh, at the airport, he wears multiple layers of gloves, and he just peels them off as he goes through TSA, and he goes through each place. He just peels the, peels the layers off. When he's in the plane, he peels them off. He, he is very careful. Uh, and, when he, uh, and when he's in the rental cars, he, he will clean the car and then maintain that as his safe zone uh, that is not contaminated. Now, uh, one of the other questions was, what if I'm exposed to a COVID-19 patient at work? Critical that people know. Now, go to the CDC website. 
discontinuation of exposure, the time that the time that you're isolated has changed yet again. This happened this week, didn't really make the news. So it's really important to understand what the latest guidelines are, where you work, and what to do. But it's critically important to know that enormous number of our population are at risk to get the disease and what we do if we are exposed. And the numbers right now, now your school, your office, where you work may, may be less than than 15 minutes. Some schools are 10 minutes within six feet of someone who has a known positive COVID test. So follow the CDC guidelines. We put them in our videos as well. And what, how you, what you need to do to know that you no longer need to be either isolated or on quarantine. And they're changing rapidly enough that we have to be really careful not to put them in these webinars, which people will watch later. So we really recommend that you go to them. We're curating our website and we're adjusting the content in our videos all the time. Uh, so those of you that are watching this video on demand, make sure to go to the CDC website for when you discontinue isolation. So what if you're exposed to someone? It's important to understand the difference between isolation and quarantine. Quarantine, you're potentially at risk. You're going to wait out the time period. Isolation is someone that you're taking care of or you're being taken care of that definitely have the virus, could be shedding the virus, and could definitely make others sick. But it's critical to, be, to if you're in quarantine, to consider you're infected and be very careful around others. Wearing masks in the house when you're in quarantine and you potentially were exposed, you could be shedding virus during that period before you have symptoms, or if you never get symptoms, you could share that with someone in your home. Can we have safe play dates? Absolutely. And for those that are uh, our scout leaders and scouts that are on and scout families, we're working on a number of strategies that will allow us to keep social distance, stay outside, highly ventilated areas. Uh, it's a no-no to carpool with other kids because you're basically running the risk of uh, transmission between the kids. The recent studies, we're not going to cover them today because we're we're talking about bringing home the virus, but the recent studies in South Korea show that uh, kids under 10 have about half the propensity to be uh, uh, to uh, uh, to get yeah, to to uh, get the disease, but they have a lot of virus. They can have a lot of viral loads. So, Dr. Mr. Bash, someone like you, the exposure to kids that are asymptomatic and maybe carriers is a big risk. Kids that are 10 years and older have the same propensity uh, 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 to spread as the as the adults. So, it's very very important uh, to recognize that. Um, uh, now, why are ind indoor activities riskier than those in the outdoors? Uh, there's a video that Kyle Kemp, our chief of staff, is going to play right now that was just released last night, actually, uh, that is a video that addresses a paper that came out of China where one person in a restaurant actually infected others, and it really helps us understand why ventilation is so important. Go ahead, Kyle.
time near each other. Thank you, Carl. Can you move to the next slide, please? So uh, another article that just came out was an article of the spread from one person who attended a, uh, a church service and spread to almost 100 people. The graphic you see on your left is actually the diagram that, uh, that, that shows the demonstration of the spread. Primary cases are those that were infected by the first case. Secondary are those that got it from those that were at the event. And then the third level are the people that get them from those. So almost 100 people just from one infected person in uh, Ohio. So what personal protective equipment do you need to care for a loved one at home? We're going to cover the mask uh, issues after we hear from uh, Ann Rhodes, who will talk to us about uh, how important it is to get your family together around a family safety plan, and David Beshk, uh, who's going to teach us a little bit about how we can teach our young people. Critical for us to know that those that are in our teens, the 20s and 30s, are super spreaders. Uh, as Dr. Fauci said yesterday, the good news is 40% of those infected are asymptomatic. The bad news is 40% of those that are infected are asymptomatic, so this is critical, and it's really important that uh, our folks uh, understand that and understand what to do if a contact tracer calls us and why testing is so critical, which we, will, we won't cover today, but we'll cover in a future webinar and kind of break down the tests and what you do with those tests. We have a video on the family safety plan, which you can watch on our, on, on our program, but very briefly as to set up Ann Rhodes, um, the, 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 the game plan is to really focus on readiness, being ready if someone were to be infected, response, knowing what to do if they do respond. Uh, so the readiness is just being in a state of readiness. Uh, response is knowing what to do if someone gets infected. Rescue is to know what to do if you have to take someone to see Dr. Dr. Peabody in the emergency care uh, department. Recovery is to have a strategy after people are infected or after uh, the community spread is dropped and you want to return to your new normal. And, uh, and then uh, 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 resilience. And resilience is, the, is, the, is, is really making sure that your family is in a state of of, of uh, what we call in, in law enforcement uh, target hardening. So it's a great pleasure to have Ann Rhodes speak to us today. She was the people system leader for Southwest Airlines, a co-founder of JetBlue. She's the president of People Inc. She's uh, written a bestseller, a great bestseller on built on values. Uh, and we're so blessed, uh, Ann, to have you share with us about how important it is to get your family rallied around having a plan and their core values. Ann? Good day. It's so great to be part of this this morning. I'd like to make a suggestion to you, though, as you think about the data you're going to hear today, and you're going to hear from many talented presenters, I want you to think about how this happens to relate to your family values. So often we think about personal or organizational values, but what about your unique family values, and how do they support a safety model? And how, on the next slide, how typically do your children find out and family members what the real values are of your organization. What they do is they watch how you behave. And we find that most, family, most values are developed when we're fairly young. And we develop those by watching the behaviors of our parents, our caregivers, our other family members, and even friends. 
So watch how you behave around what you're learning today and how you how that impacts your very unique family values. Um, the next slide, we talk about in organizations and or, our organizational values, and you heard Chuck today talk about the values of his organization, those four critical values. And as leaders of organizations, whether we're leaders in title or whether we're leaders of influence, we drive those values every day, every interaction, and we drive them through the behaviors that are representative of each of those individual values. And I believe that driving the right values and the right behaviors drive success in our organizations just like it does in our families. And I would like to suggest that this is a great opportunity during this crisis to sit and formalize those family values that you hold so dear and that you really want to see become the DNA of the family. I just heard from a great leader that we work with, and he said during this time, that the family sat around the dinner table and said, let's talk about what should be our formalized family values. They already had values, but they had never formalized them, and he has five children. And he said he and his wife think that it was one of the greatest exercises they've ever gone through as a family. They talked about the four values that would be critical to the family and going forward how each of those is represented by how each one of them behaves. He actually said that they even decided, the children suggested, putting the values over the door that they most frequently exit. So the last thing they see as they go out the door are what those four values are that they hold near and dear. I would just like to suggest that perhaps you go through the same exercise. And then to add to that, what they have developed is a story time. When they come home at night, and now that they're all together, of course, and we're all home um, every day on 24-7, one of the things that became important is that they went to, they sat together and said, let's start telling stories as part of our routine at dinner about how we lived those values and how we behaved in a way that supported them that day and to give very specific examples of that. I would just like to say finally that thinking about those family values as you absorb all this great data and information that you're presented with today, I would just ask you to think about this. What are your personal and family values and how will they help you play the information that you receive today forward? Thank you. Thank you, Anne, and uh, love to have your comments at the end when we have our full uh, full group together. Thank you for the, your leadership and showing us the way. David Bashke is an award-winning educator. He's a joy to teach. We've now taught many courses in middle school and to scouts uh, regarding bystander care and, and life-saving methods, and now we're with the coronavirus crisis, uh, I can think of no one uh, that I would rather hear from to teach us how to teach our kids uh, these critical issues and couple the values to what they need to learn. Uh, David? Yes, good morning, Chuck. Thank you for the time. Um, so I, I'm really pleased to, to be here with all of you today and to share some, um, some of my suggestions with how we work as a family and how we teach our youngest how to be prepared for these trying times. Um, as we prepared, as Dr. Denham and I prepared for today, I, we found this photo here of this family, and I think this, this picture here really says quite a bit that family planning is learning as a family, and I think it's important that the youngest in the family see all of us, just as Mrs. Rhodes said, it's the actions that speak louder than words, and you can see here that this young boy and everyone here is working and learning, dad and mom are actively participating 
everyone is involved and everyone needs to be constantly learning. This isn't something as CFOs, as the chief family officers of our teams at home. This isn't something that we do once and kind of put it on autopilot. We all need to make sure that we are maintaining a state of readiness so that we can respond if, God forbid, anyone in our family or in our, our, our network was diagnosed with COVID. So, um, yeah, here we go. So I think it's, um, it's incredibly important. Um, I, I've been working hard as, as, as one of the CFOs in my family um, to show my, my family, my wife, and my three children just how um, committed and dedicated I am towards creating a, a safe environment at home. Being My wife and I are both school teachers that are um, looking forward uh, to going back to school, but we need to make sure that we are, are maintaining a safe space at home, our safe zone that we have um, created. Uh, I've installed an outdoor shower. I just recently created a transition zone that is right next to adjacent to our washroom so that we can enter the home through the side of the house. We can all take our clothes off, put them in the washing machines right away. We have a, um, a new shoe rack where all the shoes that we wore from school stay in the, in the warm zone. We can wash, shower if need be before we ever even enter the safe zone in the house. And so it's been, um, it's been a, a family activity that my son was actually helping me lay flooring yesterday. And um, so again, I'm just trying to show the significance and importance to my young children just for, for um, uh, some context. I have a, a five-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a just, just recently turned 10-year-old child. So um, as the CFO, and I'm gonna be speaking to all of you just as I would any of the parents that would that would be in my classes. That the best ways that we can we can teach children the, the the cornerstones of the things that we can do as adults to try to educate their hearts and minds. Number one is we need to be honest. Honesty is the key. Children can see right through um, nerves. They can see right through if you're trying to you know dance around the subject. Just be honest with children, no matter how old they are. Honesty is the key. Um, we need to give children more credit than we often do. They're able to absorb and digest and understand um, complicated information. Dr. Denham and I have been teaching MedTAC to students as young as, as third grade, formally teaching to students as young as third grade. I've even taught my, four, my son when he was four years old, actually three years old, how to put on a tourniquet and how to, how to put your hands in the middle of the chest and push hard and fast for CPR. We need to be honest with our children and we need to give them more credit than we often do. That's number one. Um, another piece in, when we're teaching children is we need to validate their emotions. This is a confusing time for everyone. We are all feeling various levels of stress and confusion. And like Dr. Denham said, it's like on a daily basis, the, the numbers from the CDC change. We don't really always know exactly what's going on and how to feel. And that's okay, admitting that to our children first as the CFO and making sure that they feel comfortable um, sitting around the kitchen table, sharing stories, sharing emotions, sharing the way you're feeling, sharing questions. That's another key pillar to teaching children in, in, in creating safe zones at home. Intentional practice is very key. Making sure that you walk through the steps of coming home and you constantly ask reviewing questions. I really like the idea of creating and laminating checklists um, and having family reviews and having family critiques where you give, you know, maybe the, the youngest in the family the power to be the one that's critiquing the practice activities of others in the family, where you have them come in from the car, how did they, how did they handle the warm zone in the car, 
How did they transition into the warm zone in the house? Did everybody do the steps that they needed to? All teach, all learn method. Give everybody empowerment, making sure that we feel comfortable to make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes, but as a family, intentional practice is key and putting your children in charge is a great strategy to use. It's not always a top-down method. Give them the give them the opportunity to, hey, mommy, hey, daddy, you forgot to wash your hands, or ooh, you didn't wash your hands long enough. Oh, thank you. Not only does it help reinforce it for the adults, but it helps ingrain it in their minds as the children. And consistency is key for all of this. As many of you know, as parents, the remote learning, um, Decay happens very quickly. I mean, I know it. My wife and I are both educators, and there were days that we just didn't have the fight in us to make sure that all three kids got on their Zoom calls or finished their homework. Decay can happen quickly. And one of the, um, one of the models around my house is not a model that I came up with, but we use quite a bit. It's called discipline equals freedom. And if you're going to be creating these, these routines, you have to be disciplined and be consistent on making sure that you are upholding these practices to keep your family and your team as the CFO well and safe. You cannot give in. So when we're looking here, we're talking about head, heart, hands, and voice. What is it that we want the, your, our children to know? What is it in their head? We want them to know the routines. We want them to be able to explicitly um, share those, explain um, what it is that they, they're doing, and also the reasons behind it. Do not hide the information from them. Children want to know. They want to be involved. They want to understand the ins and outs and the whys of things. Now, we have to be careful to, um, uh, to present the information in a, in a way that they can understand it, but at least we're giving them information, and we don't want to be hiding anything. That's the head. The heart, we want them to feel comfortable. We want them to understand that, listen, these times can be a little bit scary sometimes, but that they're comfortable, that their family, their CFO has put in a plan, that everyone is practicing and everybody understands their roles and their routines, and that creates comfort. We also want them to, um, to feel care for others and that what they're doing isn't just for the care of themselves and their family, but this is for care of other people in their schools, their teams, their churches, their communities, their hands. What do we want their hands to be doing? We want them practicing. You want to be practicing the routines, and again, get back to that consistency word. Practice consistent routines that you are doing intentionally. And voice. What are the reasons? Why are we doing this? Asking questions. Have them share what the, what the reasons we are we're doing these, these routines. Why do we have these warm zone transitions to safe zones? Making sure that everybody can recite the key points. Those checklists are a great way to do that. So I think if we, if we do this, if we're honest with our students, if we are validating emotions, if we are um, having intentional practice, if we are consistent and we are disciplined, then the head, heart, hands, and voice of our teams are going to be safe and everyone's going to be doing their part to keep our communities much safer. Thank you. David, great. And you, I think you can all see why I just love teaching with David. I think I learned more than the kids uh, about how to teach and so many wonderful tips. David, you're just such a treasure to us here in Southern California. And thank you for your commitment, uh, uh, both you and Ann. It's just uh, inspiring to hear you both talk about what we can do with our families. Um, Great joy to now introduce uh, Christopher Peabody, goes by Toff. Uh, I met Toff when he was a Zuckerman Fellow and I was an Advanced Leadership Fellow at uh, Harvard and I was on faculty at the Medical School and the School of Public Health and went to the lead, went to, uh, at 
was invited by David Gergen, who was one of our co-chairs, to come and speak to the Zuckerman Fellows. And immediately after I spoke, he came up and said, hey, I really want to be involved in patient safety. And we all know when we give a talk, a lot of people come up and talk to us and that kind of thing. And Ann is such a world-class speaker. I bet she has a 1,000 people come up. But Toff was the guy who, who, who followed up. We've done, he's worked with us on many different things, collaborated with us on WHO and an international meeting and patient safety. He's now an emergency medicine uh, doctor and uh, has done a terrific job of helping us. We put together uh, a few years ago a series of five rights program, the five rights to surgery, the five rights of your medical records, getting them together, the five rights for pain management. And when I put together the five rights of emergency care, he was the first one I called and, and helped me put together the, uh, the, the real content as a, a leader in emergency medicine and a graduate of one of the top emergency medicine programs uh, in the world. So make sure that you watch the video of Toff. Uh, it's six minutes, uh, 10 seconds. It's worth every minute. But uh, Toff, would you please go ahead and just give us the, a tease, a little, little bit of a trailer or highlight of the five rights of emergency care, and then we'll have you kind of respond and tell us about your method to get home safely. Absolutely, Chuck. Well, thank you for the opportunity again to um, speak. I'm, I'm learning a ton about what to implement in my family here. And one of the things that um, we highlight in the video on the five rights of emergency care is um, what you should expect if you need to go to the emergency department in the time of COVID-19. Now, um, COVID-19 is uh, something that we're talking about now, and it's something that requires a lot of our attention. But there's all the other reasons uh, that uh, you should be going to the emergency department that existed before COVID-19 as well. And so if you need to go to the emergency department in the time of COVID, in the area of COVID-19, um, what should you expect and uh, what should you know before you go? And uh, we address those things in the video. Um, so I, I really do think that um, uh, the update uh, in the time of COVID uh, in this video is, is worth the view. Thanks, Toph. And before you talk about the disinfection centers, uh, the, the, I think one of the key takeaways to watch that uh, Toph teach us about this issue is you have to leave your family member and, and wait in the car. So, so critical that you bring medical records and you bring medications. And uh, you've, uh, Toph, really taught me about discharge precautions and knowing what to do when you need to perhaps come back. Uh, and uh, so thank you for teaching us that. And thanks for the video. And I just hope everybody gets a chance to watch it. So I've got now have up your disinfection center. Yeah, so um, I've appreciated watching, um, uh, you know, hearing from uh, Dr. Boats and what he does with his uh, um, transition from the hot zone um, to through the warm zone and uh, back, back to home. And uh, each one of us has a, a kind of different way of doing it, but there's some general guidance and best practices that I think can apply to all of us. Now, my uh, um, process is quite intense. I, I, I go through a number of different um, decontamination uh, before, I, before I set foot home. And I think that is because um, I'm at one of the highest risk places uh, to be with the COVID-19 and taking care of patients on the front lines in a level one trauma center emergency department. Um, so uh, so my, my process may be a little more detailed than your home process, which is probably right. Um, but the way we went about it, I uh, found to be um, probably the most helpful, and that is that I sat down with my wife, Kristen, and uh, we had just had it. We just had a baby, March 10th, 
Um, so we welcomed our second child, uh, Josephine Elizabeth, on March 10th, right at the beginning of uh, basically our lockdown here in the Bay Area. Um, I was on uh, uh, parental leave um, uh, when coronavirus first hit from the hospital, and I was about to go back um, into the clinical environment. And what we did is we sat down over a series of days and discussed, um, you know, should I even be coming home from the hospital with a, with a young infant at home? And uh, we talked to a number of different uh, colleagues, sat down and created a checklist um, that I use every single day um, before I leave the hospital, um, what to bring to the hospital and how to come home safely. And so the way I do it is that um, I uh, take minimal things to the hospital. Um, each one of those little, uh, you can see uh, my little station here. This is in my garage. Um, I have a, a little cubby hole for all the things that I will take to the hospital. I wipe them down with a Clorox wipe um, before I go. I put them, uh, all my things, into one wet, dry bag, um, which we used uh, for uh, um, carrying diapers around uh, because you could throw it in the laundry. Um, and I, I go to the hospital. Before I come, uh, before I come home, I uh, take off um, all, the all the scrubs that I wore in the clinical environment and put on clean clothes. Um, I leave my uh, contaminated shoes at the hospital and I wear different shoes home. Once I get home, I go immediately to the garage. Um, you can see in my decontamination center that I've taped a, um, a piece of paper to the floor. Um, and that is, my, that is my warm zone. Everything that I leave on that um, uh, piece of, uh, uh, in this little zone here stays there and no one else goes um, into this corner of the garage. I then again take all my clothes off and put them into a wet dry, uh, wet, dry bag. Um, I uh, hand sanitize um, multiple steps along the way. I come in with a disinfectant wipe and wipe down the um, doorknobs. I go immediately to the uh, laundry room. I then strip down one more time, uh, put everything into the laundry room, and then go immediately to the shower. Um, this way, I, I feel comfortable coming home to a new infant um, and uh, being able to practice my family life is uh, very important to me. And coronavirus is something that's going to be here with us for a long time. And so it's not something that I can just stay away from my family from um, while working on the front lines. So uh, our department just published a, a paper in the medical literature that uh, um, basically says that the anxiety that uh, all of us on the front lines have is about bringing the virus home to our families. And so having a system where you feel comfortable being able to come home and participate with your family is going to get us through this, uh, this crisis. One of my medical students that I mentor has, uh, has and uh, a group of uh, other medical students at UCSF, um, which is one of the top five medical schools in the country, has come together and created a um, COVID-19 fact check um, website, uh, which goes through a, a number of different myth busters. Um, and this is something that's a, a great website to, um, to reference as, long, uh, as well as um, uh, the content that you've already seen today, um, because this one's in multiple different languages. And so if you have friends or other family members who have uh, who speak a different language, this is uh, a curated uh, website from UCSF 
um, that has been translated into, um, I think it's something that's somewhere along 13 languages. And with that, Chuck, I'll, uh, I'll end and, uh, and uh, take questions. Great, great, and uh, so thank you very much. It's a, it's a real pleasure. Uh, thank you very much, Toff. Uh, that's really great to see two different perspectives, both you and Dr. Boats. Dr. Boats is called away to ICU, so uh, uh, we'll ask you at the end uh, to maybe sum up anything that might be important uh, uh, w w along with uh, Heather. Uh, it's a real pleasure to introduce Dr. Bill Scharf. Uh, I met Bill many years ago. Uh, general surgeon, got involved in patient safety, became a great leader of a great organization and patient safety and quality, and now has moved to Advent Health, where he's the executive director and clinical director of uh, quality and safety. Uh, one of the most well-read doctors in safety and quality that I've ever met, always is on top of things, and uh, really uh, is, is a great communicator to leaders. Uh, Bill, is there anything you'd like to add? And then we'll ask Paul. Uh, yeah, Chuck, uh, thanks so much uh, for having me on the, this uh, call today. Do you know Ann uh, and uh, our uh, speakers have spoke about uh, the, the, the importance of planning and of having uh, values and also of uh, stories. Uh, so uh, I'll tell you my story, and that is, is that uh, beginning in March, uh, I was uh, repositioned to become uh, part of the one of the, one of the three clinical uh, leads uh, when our when uh, our organization had divided it up into into uh, three different uh, sections. Uh, largely based on uh, geography. And in the first two-hour uh, meeting that we had about COVID, I was thinking, oh, my, this is going to get uh, really bad here pretty soon, and we have to take precautions. And the person that I was most concerned about is my mother. She's 84 years old. Uh, she's a widow. She uh, is on home oxygen uh, in uh, Illinois, so she's uh, a long distance away from me. But that being said is, is that I come from a very, very large uh, and uh, combined uh, family, and so what I needed to do was uh, to get my family on board. Uh, that's uh, my brothers and my sisters, uh, and uh, there was a lot of discussions uh, that we had. And I think some of the key points of this is as you're developing your, your, your family plans, and that is, is to do a lot of listening, listening to your siblings and your, your um, uh, parents or you know wh whoever is involved, repeating back to what you just heard and trying to find common ground. Uh, Ann talked about uh, values, and uh, to my brothers who are the, the truck drivers, uh, the, the the essential workers, the uh, the construction uh, guys. Uh, it was a discussion about their values of independence and how you could still have independence and still be safe. Uh, for uh, my sisters and some of my nieces, it was a discussion. Uh, their values are security, and so we had discussions so that the, that they were not paralyzed uh, by their activities, and so. Altogether, we ended up uh, finding a common ground. We, we collectively developed a plan for my mom to put her uh, in a strict, very strict uh, quarantine. But then there's all this other stuff that comes up, and you have to be able to talk through and figure out what's right. So, you know, in the early days, uh, who gets her mail? How does she get groceries? Where does the garbage come out? What do you do about uh, all those other kinds of things? And so I would say is, is that, that – um, uh, you know, our, our families are really complicated uh, uh, groups, entities. No one is is the same. There's no standardized family across the across the board. But in doing so, I would just ask that uh, you consider the principles of risk reduction. There is no one sim simple uh, sil uh, silver bullet. A chain is only as strong as its uh, weakest uh, link, and uh, you want to do those kinds of activities that are commonsensical, uh, certainly evidence-based, 
and uh, that brings families together and not uh, families apart. The, lastly, Chuck, you know, I know that uh, you're a recovering optimist, and I'd say there's a lot of great news that's on the horizon. Uh, do you know the uh, the numbers that we're seeing uh, across many parts of the country are actually coming down, particularly here in the Florida area? We have uh, where PPE was a severe concern uh, uh, back in uh, March. Uh, we're seeing a much better supply chain. Uh, there's uh, far better access to testing. It's still tight in many areas, uh, but uh, it's certainly a much better. Uh, uh, better. Uh, we have more effective uh, treatments uh, with dexamethasone, uh, with uh, remdesivir, and uh, with convalescent uh, serum uh, plasma if someone does uh, get uh, sick. And on the horizon, there's everything from antigen testing, antibodies, to antivirals, and, and uh, certainly uh, vaccines. So some really great uh, stuff. And finally, I, I, I want to say, too, and that is, is that, you know, those who fail to study history are destined to make the mistakes in the past. When you look at other public health issues, whether it's HIV or tobacco or seatbelts or motorcycles or vaccines, they're all the same kinds of issues. The kinds of behaviors that we're seeing right now are it's normal human behavior. It's to be expected. And with normal human behavior, it's just something that we ask our better angels to manage and bring out our very best. Thank you so much, uh, Bill. I just uh, love that uh, optimistic view and, and uh, so so helpful. And thank you for your great work and your help actually in us understanding some of the PPE issues uh, through your organization. Uh, Paul Padilla is a is an EMT. He's the president of uh, uh, the group at uh, the University of California at Irvine, and uh, we are uh, collaborating in research and support of uh, their uh, their uh, group uh, there. And uh, we're so delighted delighted to have him represent the EMTs and that perspective. Paul, do you want to kind of give us the perspective and the view from the EMTs? Um, yeah, sure thing. First of all, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, for the most part, uh, PPE is, um, is something that, that our EMT personnel has struggled with in the past. Um, and uh, although currently it looks like it's getting a bit better, um, what I do want to highlight is um, it's something kind of piggybacking off of what David Besh said, which was um, uh, a pretty important component of family lifestyle, and that component is physical health. So as an EMT, it's pretty important for me to kind of keep myself in, in good physical condition because, you know, my, my daily activities involve extrications, lifting, and things of that nature. Um, so I regularly go out with my family members um, into a local park, try to keep myself physically distanced, um, and Key components there are, you know, make sure you have your PPE, um, your mask, gloves if needed, carry a hand sanitizer, um, and also disinfect when you arrive home in the warm zone before you actually enter the household. Great, Paul, and we're going to count on you to help us with the college students and an initiative that we're going to be launching shortly. So thank you. Now we're going to shift gears a little bit. Again, this is this is a discovery that we made was that you all may be just representing the, the general public, or you may be part of a, a healthcare family, or you may be part of a food supply chain family and work at Walmart or work at Safeway or whatever. We thank you, and we're so honored to combine audiences. And now we're going to take a little bit different tack and hear from two of our, our best security leaders, law enforcement leaders, and just plain leaders. And their constituency, almost uh, 300 officers at the Mayo, through, across the Mayo Clinic, and 
and 300 officers and representing uh, the care and, and safety of more than 20,000 people uh, in Houston. We have two leaders uh, that uh, are going to respond regarding their medical centers, and we have a leader, uh, Randy Steiner, who's also an assistant scoutmaster, but also the director of emergency uh, management at the University of California, Irvine. And we like these three gentlemen starting off with Chief Adcox, who's the chief of police and also the chief security officer at MD Anderson, um, uh, and where we're doing a, lot, a number of research projects. And you'll be uh, subjected to a survey at the end of this program to help us inform this community of practice that we're building and growing. We've got more than 400 families on, and we have multiple organizations now that are undertaking the research on the five R's of, uh, that, that we addressed of readiness, response, rescue, recovery, and resilience. And so uh, it's a, such a pleasure to have Chief Adcox speak on behalf of our law enforcement. And I can toggle around to the slides, Chief, if you wish. Matt Horse is the Chief Security Officer of the Mayo Clinic and the Enterprise-Wide Risk Management. He's a best-selling author uh, and also has a personal story to tell you about COVID. Another terrific leader. We're so honored to have both, you, both of you there. And Randy Steiner actually um, is an inspiring leader who actually went through a tragedy of a plane crash uh, uh, as a young person and then dedicated his life to be focused on emergency management. And Randy, you've been such a, a great uh, addition to our community in Orange County and actually helped us teach our search and rescue merit badge program for our scouts, which was uh, just terrific. So we love having all three of you gentlemen now kind of speaking to your own audience, but, but kind of giving us a little bit of a view the to the rest of us in the public of this high-risk enterprise that you are having to manage where your officers, and this slide I'm backing up, is uh, from the, the Chiefs Association that is, I think, a very well-written document we'll post uh, that addresses what you have to do in your space. So, Chief, would you please kick it off, and then Matt, and then Randy. Well, Chuck, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Thank you so much. It's, a, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here today and to, to be with this distinguished panel. Um, uh, we we in the front lines here in terms of what we do for a living, um, one of the things that we have been very cognizant of is, is that we know that it's extremely difficult, if not impossible, to care for others and to support and protect others if you are worried about your own family and what's going on in your home. And that's why this program and that's why all this information and, uh, is so critical to how do we how do we go through the, 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 you know, the warm zone into the hot zone and then back into the green zone? How do we protect our families if something happens? So it's very important. Uh, we've had to do a lot of things. We call it the big four in our organization. We call it distancing, uh, shielding, time, and hygiene. You know, you've got to have the social distancing. You've got to make sure you have your face mask. If you have a face shield, you have your eye goggles. Uh, you have to have time so that you, that you spend as, as much time uh, in the safe area in the least amount of time uh, around individuals in which you can become infected and also hygiene, continuously, continuously washing your hands or wearing uh, protective gloves. Uh, we talk about you know, the methods that we have determined to be uh, most useful. We, we've changed the way that we meet. We meet outdoors, quite frankly. Uh, we have separation. We've gone to multiple shifts. We don't have uh, people traveling in the same areas at the same time. Uh, we've, we've equipped uh, our personnel with the protective gear that they really, really need to have, particularly um, when they have uh, contact with the general public, particularly in the high-risk areas with N95 masks. 
Uh, we do a weekly check-in. We check on their their health. We make sure we have both uh, vertical and horizontal communication with multiple communication mechanisms, particularly in today's pandemic era where you just can't walk up and shake a hand and see how someone's doing. Um, and we make sure at all times that we have programs to support in place for all of our personnel. And uh, we, we follow what, what you pointed out there on the IAC bulletin. We keep up with all the work that's being done with MedTAC and um, in, in, this, in this particular group that's come together for these safety measures. And so uh, I, I will tell you that I'm very appreciative of being part of this and, and very appreciative of all the work that's being done. I'll turn it back over to you, Chuck. Thank you very much, Bill. And, and uh, we're keeping this brief so we can get uh, go to everyone. But uh, Bill is also a pioneer of threat safety science, and Matter is also involved in an emerging uh, threats community of practice that we've launched with the top medical centers in the country. Uh, Matt, would you like to share uh, your thoughts and story? And we know you have to be off at the at the half past, so we'll go right to you. Well, thank you very much, and thank you, Chief Adcox, for your partnership and continued concern. You know, uh, I'm finding that um, what I'm learning most is that we have to be concerned with our staff and their families, even more so than the execution of the mission. And, you know, the other day I spoke with a security manager in Atlanta who works for a uh, public uh, contracting firm, Allied Universal, and he was telling me that he has a 6,000-person uh, workforce in Atlanta for commercial and, you know, commercial properties, schools, hospitals, and et cetera. And he said that they're experiencing a 15 to 20 person per, per day infection rate out of a 6,000 um, person staff. And when you start to think about uh, the impact um, as a result of isolation and quarantine and infections, and then having to execute security plans, it's really substantial. So here at Mayo, we've been trying to do the best we can to ensure that our frontline people don't get infected. And when they do, obviously they're taken off, off the rolls. But, through all that planning and all that execution, I actually contracted COVID uh, about a month ago. Uh, we believe I got it from my daughter and my wife ended up getting it. So throughout the learning cycle and the learning experience, we kind of learned what it was like, you know, the difference between the real and uh, the imagined. And I was able to communicate um, what happened to me and my story to my staff as well, that it, this can happen to you. Uh, we're making plans um, throughout all of our destination sites for when and if we do have an outbreak. Um, I, like Bill, I'm sure, are really concerned that we don't have one person that catches it, but we might have one person that catches it and community spread. It might turn into three and five and 10 and, and 50, and that's a real concern being a leader of our enterprise function. So I would say that uh, moving forward, I'm going to count on you a little bit more, Chuck, in terms of educating our frontline staff. We're going to continue to do the best that we can to protect them and their families. But I've definitely gotten a couple of things I'm going to take back to them in terms of how they should be leading their lives once they leave work. Thank you, Matt. And, and it's shocking to me that the CDC guidelines, when they are adjusting isolation and quarantine guidance and guidance regarding getting back to work, that we're not seeing it on the news. And since we don't see it on the news, we don't hear about it. And even our frontline doctors are unaware of it. So the content we're curating, we're finding that it, you know, in our, in our webinars we're doing on the third Thursday of the month, that we're going to have to keep updating that because we've got to get that message out that the science is changing so rapidly. Matt, thank you for sharing 
sharing uh, uh, your story uh, with us, and, and it's great to have you. And uh, congratulations, actually, on Mayo Clinic number one again, uh, U.S. News and World Report, and Chief Adcox, uh, uh, MD Anderson number one. Both of you number one slots uh, in the in the most important ranking we have in the United States. Uh, Randy, uh, it's just such a great pleasure to have you on and to work with you here at UCI in our Orange County environment. And uh, uh, thank you for the contribution and also being a research involved in our research project, as is Matt at Mayo and Chief Adcox on these five R's. Uh, Randy, what would you like to add to what the other gentlemen have said? And, and uh, then we're going to move on to get, cover some of the really important updates on masks and then give everybody a chance to comment before we close. Uh, thank you so much, Chuck, and thank you for the opportunity to be here to speak on this distinguished panel. Uh, really, I've, I just wanted to build off of what Matt was saying a little bit about the planning process. You know, when COVID came, our, our uh, disaster planning process we, was really based around, you know, the wildfire scenario, the earthquake scenario. You know, although we have in UCI, we have a very robust plan. We do have a pandemic annex. One thing we learned very quickly as this event started to uh, to to really you know evolve around us was that that plan was was really conceptual and the reality of what was needed to deal with a, a pandemic type issue like this one um, we really kind of had to start building that plane while it was taken off of the runway um, but you know some of the, the the principles of planning are really important and having that plan first of all having a plan is the most important thing you can do is developing that plan, not just, you know, from a professional organizational viewpoint, but as a family, as a, as a, you know, individual in society, having some kind of plan to protect yourself, um, just make that plan. That's the start of all of it. But also remember that, you know, plans have to be, emergency plans particularly, have to be scalable. They have to be flexible. They have to be adaptable. You can't plan everything in detail. You have to have a good con concept of what you want to do, but you also have to have the ability to, uh, to adapt that plan as the situation grows. In the Marine Corps, we called that Semper Gumby, always flexible. Remember that in your planning process. And uh, lastly, I just wanna uh, throw one of my favorite planning quotes out there from General George S. Patton that says that a good plan vigorously executed now is better than a perfect plan executed two weeks from now. So keep that in your, in your minds when you, you are developing your plans, but have that plan and make sure that you can adapt that plan as the situation uh, evolves, and that's what we're trying to, we're doing that every day with this situation and as we get through, the, through COVID. So thank you, Chuck. Well, Randy, and thanks, uh, and thanks for the leadership that you have uh, with our scouts. We know we have a lot of scout leaders and scout masters and scout families on, and uh, I can't. The uh, search and rescue merit badge was so instructive to the kids that we had involved, and I think uh, combining that with the COVID challenges of bystander care and Good Samaritan care is so critical. So. Uh, what uh, I'm going to do now is there's some critical things on masks that we want to cover, and then we'll go uh, round robin to each of our speakers, and we'll also uh, uh, put our survey up on the five R's. We pray that you'll stay on and do that quick survey. It's just take you two minutes to do. But one of the most important things is that the mask issue is becoming even more important. The risk of airborne, the virus going airborne, which are in droplets, the, the five micron droplets that drop nearby on surfaces, the less than five microns that float in the air that become aerosols. But now we're starting to, with, with some of the researchers, and we heard this from Dr. Fauci yesterday, that, uh, that the larger droplets are going further. So 
take a look at our repository. We're curating content all the time. There's an article here that could help protect you from buying masks that will not be as good. The idea of an N95 mask being the best is probably not best for typical consumers, and a K95 mask, 95 mask is from China, may not pass any of this or pass the filtration test. So. This document that you see before you, we're going to release on Monday. I'm going to revise it again over the weekend because of the latest information. And uh, we start off with, the, with some of the facts and fiction regarding masks. It's kind of fun for those of you that know my family, my wife and son. We created line art drawings because uh, we didn't have access to a lot of people when we were building the content. The best solution is wear all, all wear masks, but the N95 for caregivers, because they need a fit test. If you don't have a fit test, you can't get guaranteed that you're going to get the greatest value. The, the medical surgical masks that are of high quality are the best for us and consumers, but cloth has a real impact. So remember, uh, no mask is extreme risk. Uh, 15 minutes within six feet, large droplets, small droplets, aerosol are all at risk. Uh, if we talk about the cloth masks, pretty powerful. A two-layer cloth mask reduces the exhaled and inhaled droplets by 60%. One paper says that if we were to wear two-ply cloth masks across America, 60% of the time we could stop the epidemic. That's an amazing, an amazing number. Uh, the surgical mask reduce exhaled droplets by 99%, the good quality ones. Thank you for and your attention today. We hope you take advantage so of our short videos, our long program videos, our printed content, and our curated articles. We really appreciate all that you are doing. You God bless you in your journey to family safety. So the sum up here is, uh, and watch our video, the 27-minute video. We'll be editing it again by Monday. The science is changing all the time. But a good surgical mask that is fitting well that you are not touching with your hands can probably offer you and your family the best protection and not to worry about an N95 mask because they, they absolutely have to be fit tested so no air is moving around outside of them or you can't get that 95% protection. So th these are the graphics that uh, we have in the video. Uh, we hope you enjoy them, and we'll be posting the article, which I'm revising over the weekend, that has the detail. Two slides here, nine, slide 91 and 92 are for our doctors, medical students, nurses that are taking tests. This is the evidence-based content regarding these issues, and you can see the cited articles. All the articles are on our repository, and anybody in the public, is we're, we'd love to have you read them. You don't have to, but for those that are getting a certificate with us, this is what you need to know to be able to pass the test. So I'd like to go to John Tomlin. Now, uh, John is a scout leader. He's the, the the chair of our particular troop. Wonderful man with a, 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 who's uh, trained as a lawyer, as a businessman, but also as a great community leader, a faith-based uh, contributor to his church and his community. I've known John for many years. His son and my son are the same age. Uh, he constantly inspires me. But we had the opportunity to challenge a mask issue in his, in his community. And, John, I'd like for you to share that quick story and then how you created your own, uh, your own isolation chamber at your home. Very good, Doc. Thank you. And I'm really enjoying this program, by the way. Great presenters. Uh, I work in the multifamily housing industry, and we provide rental housing for people. And when they have a maintenance issue, we have to go in and fix it because if their toilet's clogged and are their electricity's out, we need to go in there. So uh, some of my employees, for various reasons, decided they didn't want to wear a mask, even though the company mandated it and it was ordered by the, the, the 
Health Department of the state of California. So I enlisted Chuck's help, and, and we shared with some of my employees this video regarding the science behind masks. And within several hours, they put on masks. So it was a real victory, and and just to keep and, – and I think we used the, the example, hey, you're not only protecting yourselves, you're protecting your loved ones by wearing a mask because you don't know what you're going to do when if you bring COVID-19 home to your loved one. So I think it really hit home, and I thank Chuck for his, his help on, on helping our industry, the apartment industry, face these challenges. So my, my story about um, the movie Apollo 13, and I, I've watched it several dozen times, and the, the part that intrigued me most is when they had to go into the lamb and they had to use what they had on hand to, to filter the air. And I started thinking, it's like, well, what happens if one of my family members gets sick? So I had this little 13-foot trailer that's fully self-contained, and it plugs in, and it's got a, its own air conditioning and heating and water system and shower. And I thought, I'll use that as an isolation unit at my house. So I put it in my driveway and plugged it in, and I affectionately call it the LEM, too. So, Thank uh, you, John. And uh, we'll have to we'll have to put the picture we'll have to use the pictures uh, the next time as we talk about uh, the family plan, which we're going to cover on care uh, of uh, of our loved ones at home. So what I'd love to do is have you all take uh, a look at the uh, at the survey and please uh, respond to the survey that we've uh, addressed. What I want to do is I just want to I'm I'm advancing the slides uh, to take us to each one of our contributors, Jennifer. Dingman, you'll be last, and we'll have you close because we always want to close with the voice of the patient. But uh, Dr. Boats was called to ICU. Anne, would you like to make some concluding comments on what you've heard? And, and you always inspire us, so I know you'll have something to say. What if we lost My own Anne? family. It Here was a go. great. I just enjoyed today. I learned so much from my own family and for friends and others that I I plan to play it forward for. Thank you all for contributing. And this is all about every one of you showed your personal values today, and thank you so much. And thank you. And, and I want to just uh, let you know, for those of you that are going to take our certification course, uh, Anne, Jim Collins, who wrote Good to Great, uh, uh, a number of leaders, including Sully Sullenberger, and many great leaders that you know are featured. And Anne is, I think, one of the really terrific uh, uh, instructors of that part of that module for our uh, certification course, and that's for law enforcement, faith-based individuals, those that are doctors, nurses, pharmacists, continuing education credits. Thank you so much. David, our, our David uh, my call sign for David is Eagle because he's, uh, he's, he embodies what I think an Eagle Scout becomes as a great man. David, what, what else would you like to add? And thank you for your instruction on, on how to get to our kids. Well, thank you again for letting me be a part of this wonderful webinar. Um, what I would like to, to share again is um, I think it's very important that everybody understands the significance of what we're doing and that we are honest and that we are dedicated and that we are disciplined in our pursuit to helping teach and helping to bring better understanding towards ways we can remain safe. And um, just remember to keep, just to keep care in our hearts and fight the good fight and if we have questions, ask. There's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know the answer to something and trying to find that information so that we can be better CFOs for our family and our community. 
Thank you, David. Thanks for, thanks for your leadership here. Uh, Heather, uh, again, Heather was a wonderful contributor to the deep dive content that we have built for our more comprehensive courses on how you create a care room at home when, you're, when you have to take care of someone. When we hit these surges, not everybody's going to be able to go into a hospital, and uh, there may be, you may be on the fence in terms of symptoms, and we'll ask uh, Dr. Peabody to kind of maybe address that. But, Heather, thank you for that wonderful contribution. What else would you like to add, Heather, as a nurse preventionist uh, and someone, a leader in the community? Well, you're very welcome, Chuck, and it's, it's a privilege to be a part of this process. You know, I just want to just, I was just reminded of something. Uh, John, when you mentioned your camper, you know how many times I've walked past my camper and it has not dawned on me to make that an isolation room until you said that. <laughs> and so I think it's important that, now how many expertise uh, we have on the front line, it's, we can learn from one another. We can definitely um, make room for that. And so I think as we go deeper into this pandemic and hopefully come out on, better for it on the other side, uh, that I've, everyone's self-awareness um, is mastered through this. And um, again, I just want to thank everybody for your input. And John, I'm going to do the very same thing to my camper. Thank you. There you go. Thank you. Thanks, John, for that. Toph, concluding comments and anything you want to add regarding emergency care and perhaps what we need to know if we've got to get somebody in. No, Chuck, I think this uh, this webinar covered everything that I'd like and more than, uh, and so I've learned a lot today, and, uh, and I would just uh, encourage people to Sit down, spend the 30 minutes that it will take to um, talk with your loved ones about what your personal plan will be to uh, go through the long haul of this, uh, this pandemic. Fantastic. Chief Adcox. Thank you very much, Chuck. Like, all the thing I would like to say is, is that this is tremendous program and information. Uh, remember, family first. Uh, people always take care of one another. Plan. I'll watch out for each other, and, and we will get through the pandemic. Thank you, Chuck, for, for having us as part of this. Thank you, sir. Thanks for your great contributions. Matt, are you still on? I think Matt had to be pulled away at Mayo. He texted me. I think he did. Randy, anything you'd like to add? Uh, Chuck, just thank you so much for your leadership and, and putting this out here, you know, with all the programs you've been working on, uh, you know, and and. The, you know, the planning that we've been going through for the last year, you know, in our, in our relationship, how it's kind of evolved into, you know, into this, this event has just been really outstanding. And just the, the dedication of everybody, not just on this panel, but, you know, everybody who is doing their part to really, you know, work through this using good science-based approaches to, you know, helping to stop the spread. If we continue this type of leadership, we will get through this. And I just want to wish everybody, you know, the best of, of getting through it and, and stay safe. Yeah, and Randy, thanks again for uh, your leadership and getting the families of all your officers to contribute to the survey uh, so we can inform this uh, program and, and the emergency medicine department that will be on one of our next webinars, Dr. Katz or Dr. Fox and the uh, great emergency medicine leaders. Paul, with anything you'd like to add and any tips on getting to young people? You're our youngest uh, person on the panel. Yes, I am. Um, as for tips for young people, uh, you know, it is, you know, you're, you're very correct when you said that, you know, people my age, 20s, 30s, that tend to be kind of uh, resistant, skeptical uh, with, with mask wearing and, and, and social distancing. 
I would just recommend to the people my age watching this is just, you know, authorities know what they're doing. Um, and I've learned a lot from this program, and I'm, I'm you know, more than excited to work with you, Chuck, uh, to execute our MedTech program at UCI. Great, great. And we've got, uh, we have leaders from University of uh, Florida, from Chapman University, uh, Stanford, Harvard, that are all participating in our young, young person's approach. So uh, uh, I, I feel honored as an old guy to be uh, at the table with you guys. Uh, Bill, any, any other con concluding comments? We'll then go to John, and then we'll have Jennifer. You'll be our anchor person to close us. Well, for anybody who's on the call, you don't have to be Monet to make an impression. Uh, you can make an impression by leading by example, as you heard on the call today. You can make an impression, definitely make an impression by leading on stage. But you can make your most impression often by leading off stage. And I encourage everyone uh, who's on the call to, 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 to lead uh, through uh, this uh, pandemic uh, crisis. And I want to thank you, Chuck, uh, and everyone on the call for all the work that uh, you guys have done. Uh, may God bless you all. Thank you, sir. And John Tomlinson, uh, anything you'd like to add? It sounds like you've got some sales for your isolation trailer. <laughs> no, I just uh, I'm glad to be part of this panel, and, and thank you so much. I've learned a lot myself, and we can all do our part. We can all be, be take a responsibility and do our best to keep everybody safe. And thank you, John, for your 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 help with the Adopt a Cove program. We're uh, we're halfway to our goal of getting every cove from Dana Point to to Newport Beach at three minute response time with uh, automatic defibrillators. And thanks for your leadership of Scouts. So Jennifer, I just want to relieving Jennifer for last, but last is not least. Jennifer uh, is just one of the biggest champions of patient safety. Every other week, every Saturday morning, seven o'clock East Coast time here, we have an hour call with patient uh, patient safety champion. She served on many federal uh, organizations. She's been a co-author with us, but I think most importantly, uh, one of the silent leaders that helped uh, get the hospital-acquired conditions program across the goal line. And it finally came out this last year, uh, over 175,000 lives saved and uh, in the 20 to $30 billion saved for our country. So, Jennifer, you and the team and Saturday morning team that you represent, thank you for always being the voice of the patient. Would you please close us? And if our speakers can stay on, we're just going to do a quick process improvement loop to see if we can do anything better for you. So, Jennifer, would you close us? And God bless you all. We'll see you next, hopefully next uh, uh, first Thursday uh, of, the, of the month. You're going to learn about how to take care of someone at home. Jennifer? Thank you, Dr. Denham, for your very kind words and for putting this together for patients and families and the public. It's well needed in our country. I just want to thank all of our speakers, the experts, the people who follow science. It's very, very important to our listeners today and the people viewing this webinar that you listen to the doctors, that you listen to the scientists. This is very important. Our lives depend on it. Our, our future depends on it. We will get through this together with the help of the good Lord in heaven. But we do need to be sensible and we need to listen to the science. And I encourage you to please listen again when this recording comes out. Take the recording, share it with your family, your friends, your coworkers, and, and help this to grow in, the, in our communities, help, help this great webinar series to grow. Again, thank you so much and God bless everyone here today. Thank you for your attention today. We hope you take advantage of our short videos, our long program videos, our printed content, and our curated articles. We really appreciate all that you are doing. God bless you in your journey to family safety.